0: Oh my goodness, happy Thanksgiving week to you. How you doing this morning? Sound good. Hey, I want you to know something. I don't. If you've ever taken any kind of a public speaking course, they tell you the last thing you should ever do is say, how are you doing? But I really care, so I like to hear how you're doing. And so that's, that's why we kind of start that way sometimes. And uh, I, I'm so, so excited that you're here this morning because what we're going about to get into, I think, I think God's gonna use in, in a powerful, powerful way because this is, this is area that we don't normally traffic in and I'm, I'm a little bit excited. I'm excited because it's a little bit different. I'm excited because it's Thanksgiving week. I'm excited because it's freezing cold outside. Got down into the 40s last night and uh, I'm excited that you're here. So let's go to God together in a word of prayer as we go to his word together as a family. Our Father and our God, we love you. We thank you so much for your presence in this place, God, and the opportunity that we've already had to to worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, for the the giftings and the heart in those who lead us in worship, our our worship team and our our band, we thank you so, so much for them. And Father, now as we open your word, we pursue you. God, we want to know you better, not just to know about you. But to know you, to love you more fully and more completely as we discover and taste and see that you are good. It's our prayer, God, that you would use this time in our lives, that we would never be the same. And Father, this morning especially, I pray for those who are here who are struggling in some way. God, for that man or that woman or that student who walked in the door with a hurt or a doubt, a fear. And I pray, God, that you would move as only you can in that person's life in this time, that they would be restored and renewed. God, that they would be genuinely encouraged by you, by the truth and the reality of your word. I ask, God, that you would speak through me. I ask again, Lord, that you would speak in spite of me, and that your purposes would be accomplished in this time. We give this prayer to you in the name of Jesus, the one who makes it all possible. And everybody said, amen, amen. Amen. Well, for the last few weeks, we have been drilling down into the life of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, who was, by any definition you want to use, an absolute wild man, That This was a guy who lived literally out in the desert, in the Judean countryside, east of Jerusalem, specifically in that strip of land that borders the Jordan River, south of the Sea of Galilee, north of the Dead Sea. And while he was living out there in the wilderness, he developed some kind of wild habits. He would eat wild honey and locusts. He would wear clothing that was woven from coarse camel's hair. And... He had a preaching ministry that really the world has never seen before or since. Literally hundreds and probably thousands of people flocked from the cities and the towns out into the wilderness to hear John preach. And when he had those crowds and those people thronging to hear him, he would refer to them as snakes, as vipers, and He would get so far up in their kitchen, they didn't know come here from Sikkim. They they weren't really sure what to do with this wild man, John the Baptist. And yet, for all of his wildness, he he was somebody that they should have seen coming. He he was the son of a priest. His birth was prophesied by the prophet Isaiah 700 years before it happened. He was the cousin of Jesus. He was called by God himself to announce the coming of the Christ, the arrival of the Messiah, the promised one of Israel. John the Baptist's life was a living testimony, a a statement of faith, if you will, that, that a relationship with God was never to be tame or domesticated, comfortable that instead it, it, re- it requires a wild abandon to the love of God, to, to experience everything that he's created us for and to settle for nothing less. This was the message. This was the theme of John the Baptist's life. But I want to ask you a question. What do you do when your faith goes from wild to wavering? What what do you do when, when this faith that you have sold out to and this relationship with God is what you've built your life around, and all of a sudden you are seized by doubt, by, by insecurity and uncertainty? How do you respond in that moment? One of the things that I love about Scripture is that the Bible never photoshops its heroes. The Bible never, ever puts an Instagram filter on somebody's life to make it appear better than it really is. How many of you know that, that Instagram and Facebook are basically vehicles for deception? Could somebody just, could I just see a show of hands? Nobody lives the life that they put on Instagram. That is everybody's highlight reel. But the Bible goes to great lengths to show us the flaws of its heroes. If you go all the way back, think about Noah. Noah was a man whose righteousness God used to literally save humanity at the flood. And yet, the Bible tells us that Noah got so sloppy drunk that his kids had to come tuck him in one night. Think about Moses. Moses, who led Israel out of Egyptian slavery and talked face-to-face with God and received the Ten Commandments from God himself, yet Moses was a murderer. It was Moses' rage that kept him from ever setting foot in the promised land he was leading Israel toward. David, a man after God's own heart, chosen by God to be the king of his chosen people, Israel. And yet David was an adulterer, an adulterer who, by the way, used his influence to ensure that Bathsheba's husband would be killed in battle and no longer a problem. Peter. I love me some Peter. Peter who who is the rock upon whom Jesus said he would build his church. This same Peter within one 24-hour window sliced off the ear of a Roman soldier who was arresting Jesus and then on three separate occasions denied ever knowing Jesus at the most critical juncture of his journey. So over and over and over again, we see these heroes of the faith, these, these pillars of our story of faith, these actual historical figures who had this incredible wild faith, but they always enter a season of wondering. They always move from wild to wavering. And John the Baptist was no different than them or any of the other characters mentioned throughout Scripture. John the Baptist, this wild man of faith, had an incredible, incredible season of doubt, of of wavering faith. And and to understand the context, I want you to open your Bibles and go to Luke chapter three. Luke chapter three. Luke, of course, is the third book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, then John, the four gospels, which are the narrative accounts of Jesus' life. But in Luke chapter three, The Bible tells us something fascinating about John the Baptist, this wild man of faith, this this cousin of the Christ. Look at what it says. John also publicly criticized Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, for marrying Herodias, his brother's wife, and for many other wrongs he had done. So Herod put John in prison, adding this sin to his many others. Now, the Herodians were a fascinating family. This was like the real housewives of Galilee. They were as dysfunctional as you can possibly imagine. Herod Antipas's father had been Herod the Great. He was the one who was the, the king or governor, really, of that Galilean area at the birth of Jesus. And, and they were charged by Rome with just keeping the peace. All Rome cared about was that they kept things calm. And so they ruled with... Equal measures, carrot and stick. Herod the Great, who had been visited by the three wise men and told that there's a new king born in your area, he was the one who had commissioned the murder of every boy child two years old and younger. And now his son, Herod Antipas, is on the throne as the governor king of this particular region. Now, Herod Antipas was a piece of work He had maneuvered his way to the kingship following his father, but earlier in his life, he had gone to Rome, and while he had been in Rome, he had stayed with his brother, Herod II, family gathering for family. Think about Thanksgiving. And while he was there, Herod Antipas fell in love with Herod II's wife, Herodias. Apparently, she was Herodias the Hottie, and... (laughs) He divorced his first wife to marry his brother's wife. John the Baptist said in no uncertain terms, this was poor behavior. And he preached regularly against the Herodians and their their lives. And for his service to the Lord, he was thrown into prison. And and it's in this backdrop that John the Baptist is literally in chains And, and his life is absolutely up for grabs because one of the things that the Herodians knew was that they knew in order to keep the peace and keep Rome off of their backs, they had to maintain a certain level of political and public tolerance. So at this point, Herod Antipas is not really ready to execute John the Baptist. He doesn't want to because he has such a popular following, but he needs him off and out of the pulpit. So he puts him in prison. And it's there in prison that John the Baptist has this, this crisis of faith. He, ha- he has this moment where he wonders. He wonders. And I want you to look in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 11 is where we're gonna spend most of our time today. Matthew chapter 11, verses two and three, describes this crisis of faith for John the Baptist. John the Baptist, who was in prison, this is verses two and three, heard all about the things the Messiah was doing, Jesus. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? Are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Now, it might be tempting to, to read this and think, oh, John, how could you doubt? Of course, because remember, this is John the Baptist. He's he got his nickname because he was the one who baptized the Messiah. He was the one who baptized his cousin Jesus in the Jordan River. John was there and would have heard the voice of God saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. John would have been aware of the prophecies about his own birth. He he knew his calling, he knew his cousin. And yet, even John the Baptist has this this crisis of faith where, where, where all of a sudden he's not the wild man anymore. I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell him, wait, wait for the crisis. Because here's the thing I think we do new believers a disservice in. You will have a crisis. There, there will come a moment or a season where your faith wavers. There, there will come that, that season of doubt or that, that, that opportunity where Circumstances and, and context conspire to, to constrict your confidence or your faith. And where you where you seem to be unsure and not really ready to step out in faith anymore, but you need to you need to be reassured. And this is where John the Baptist was. John the Baptist was having this moment in prison his whole life built around the coming of Messiah, announcing the arrival of the King of Israel, Jesus. And yet here in prison, he has this, this incredible crisis. You know, I remember when our son Joe was in middle school. He, he was, you know, involved in a lot of different extracurricular stuff, played all the sports, did all the extracurricular after-school stuff. And there, there was a window of time there particularly in middle school, where he went through a really, really tough season. It it became very, very popular to pick on Joe. He was was mocked, he was taunted for for basically being a good guy and doing the right thing. Now, our kids are far from perfect, but I can tell you, in, in that particular season, in the locker room especially, and its I don't want to paint a rosy picture. I'm not talking about good-natured ribbing. You know how guys, guys make fun of each other instead of saying I love you. That, that's how we <laughs> connect with each other. This was not that. This was mean-spirited. This was ugly. This was hard. He was called names that I won't share with you in a church service. And I will never forget the question that Joe asked us. One Evening at home, he looked up and he said this. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to do the right thing? Is it worth it to stay the course? Is it worth it to keep the faith? Is it worth it to do the right thing and let the chips fall where they may? Is it worth it? Now his mom and dad, Julie and I assured him yes, it is absolutely worth it. And we went on from there. But I think that moment is one that every single follower of Christ can connect with. Every one of us will have an is-it-worth-it moment in our lives. Maybe in the marketplace, maybe in your marriage, maybe in school. But you will have an is-it-worth-it moment. Now, the short answer is yes. And I could just send you home with that. But I think the more drawn out question is how do you get there? How do you get to worth it? How do you get to the place where it really and truly is worth it in the long haul? Because there are times where our faith is not convenient. There is time where our fervor and our passion for God will cost us if we're doing it right. It will. But it's in that moment that we go back to the example set for us by John the Baptist. Because he's already shown us how to handle this. That the answer is already there. I, I want to go back to that verse real quick. Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 and 3. So he sent his disciples To ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? In short, go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. When when circumstances conspire against your faith and, and cause your faith to constrict, it's in those moments that you gotta lean in, baby. You gotta, you gotta step into Jesus Himself. Not about all of the noise. Isn't it amazing how we we rely on our circumstances? We we believe in God, but but the fact is there's something inside of us that that wants to rely on our circumstances. If we could just if we could just make enough money to where we don't have to worry about money. Or or maybe if we could just meet the right person so we don't have to worry about being alone. Or or if we could get the right job so we don't have to worry about work. Those are all significant, important life stations and they are circumstances. I want you to think about the word circumstance for just a second. Circumstance. Circum means a circle. It means around. And a stance means obviously standing. Standing. So circumstances are those things that stand around our lives. They are not our lives. They are not the essence of who we are. They're not our soul. So when circumstances conspire to constrict our confidence, that's when we lean into the things of the soul. We lean into Jesus. And John the Baptist did this from prison. As he has this crisis of faith and he's wondering Is this real? Does this work? Is it worth it? He sends his followers, his disciples, to go ask Jesus if he's the one. He said, are you worth it? Are you the one who's been promised? Or should we keep looking for something else? Now, I don't want you to raise your hand to this one, but my guess is, Most of us, and by most of us, I mean every single one of us, has gone looking for something else. Most of us, by the time we have reached middle school, high school, we've tried some other stuff, maybe maybe tried it a lot. We go looking for something else when our question ought to be, Jesus, are you the one Are you the promised one, the one who is the fulfillment of every promise of God? And I love Jesus' response. I love, because John's question is good, but it wouldn't have mattered if Jesus hadn't done what Jesus always does. Look at how this verse continues in verse 4, Matthew chapter 11. Jesus told them, Go back to John. Go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see. The lame walk. Those with leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised to life. And the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away Because of me. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying, trust the track record. Trust the track record. Look at the evidence that you know to be real. Yes, this is absolutely faith. Every relationship in the world requires faith. My bride, Julie, who is not here with us today. Julie Julie and I have been married for 26 years. I've, I feel with some level of confidence that we will still be married in December. I have a high degree of confidence in that. That's faith, I don't know that, it hasn't happened yet. But, but I believe we will be married a month from now. But I believe that my faith is founded on the fact of the last 26 years. I, I have seen her faithfulness. I have, I have felt her love, the choices she makes over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. A friend of mine asked his grandfather, he said, How did you and grandma stay married for 67 years? One of the wisest, most biblical answers I've ever heard. His grandfather looked back at him and he said, I just kept coming home. I just kept coming home. Jesus is saying here, tell John the facts. This isn't about how you feel. This is about the facts. The fact is, that the blind can now see. The fact is that people with leprosy are now whole and complete. The fact is that the deaf hear. The fact is that the dead are raised to life. The fact is that in this kingdom, even the poor matter. You go tell John that. Trust the track record. Our faith is founded in the fact of Jesus's life, death, burial, and resurrection. It's why Paul said, if he was not raised from the dead, we are to be pitied more than all others. It is rooted in fact. These are the facts. Now, just for a second, I want you to to put yourself in in John the Baptist's shackles. I want you to, to imagine, first of all, imagine prison In A.D. 32-ish, prison. It's not jail. It's not like Andy Griffith where Otis goes and lets himself into the cell and then he lets himself out in the morning. We're talking about first century Roman prison. John the Baptist, not knowing whether he would live or die, And he sees his disciples coming back. He knows that he sent them to Jesus, and he sees them coming back. And they said, John, we've, we saw it. John, the blind can now see, the deaf can hear. People with leprosy are now whole. The dead are being raised to life. John, we've seen it. I have to tell you, I am by nature a crier. I I get emotional, I cry. Real men cry. You might want to write that down. (laughs) But I want you to imagine John the Baptist. I want you to imagine hearing these facts, having had this crisis and hearing the reality, discovering the evidence, and then knowing it's worth it. Yeah, is it worth it? It's worth it. It's worth it. Now, the Bible does not record for us that moment in John's life. We know that sometime, soon thereafter, John was in fact executed. He was executed through the the scheming of Herod's wife, Herodias. He had thrown a a huge, massive party and Herodias, again, like I said, you you can't even imagine the dysfunction and the sin and the filth. Herodias' daughter had performed some kind of a dance. The Bible doesn't go into a lot of detail. But it says that Herod was was really, really happy by the dance she had performed. And and he promised her, based on this dance, she could have anything she wanted. Kind of of grandstanding in front of his guests. And, And she went and conferred with her mother. And her mother, Herodias, said, tell him you want the head of John the Baptist. Herod knew the political risks associated with executing John the Baptist, but he had made this promise in front of his guests. It was on public record. And so he had John the Baptist beheaded in prison. That's not the end of the story. Because Jesus pronounced John the Baptist's eulogy, probably before he was executed. After John the Baptist's disciples had returned to give word to him of the evidence, look at what Jesus said to the crowd who remained. Verses 11 and 12, he says, I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. No one is greater than John the Baptist. No one. Man, you want to talk about the eulogy to end all eulogies? If the son of God says you are the best, that's how you want to go out. Put that in headlines. But he reminds his audience that even John the Baptist's reputation takes a backseat to the kingdom of heaven. Even the faith of John the Baptist, this wild man, is secondary to anyone who is adopted into the kingdom of heaven, the family of faith. You see, Jesus is, is making sure that while we honor John the Baptist, we remember what John the Baptist's life was all about. That it was about Jesus. It is always about Jesus. It is always about Jesus. So when you have a crisis of faith, yes, you go to Jesus. But even when you are celebrated, even when you are lifted up as an example for the rest of the world to follow, it's still about Jesus I don't know where you are this morning. I, I know enough to know that in a room like this with people, this many people in the room, there, there are some hurts here this morning. There are some, some obstacles. There are some crises at work. And I will just tell you, based on the facts. It is worth it to keep the faith. It is worth it to stay the course. It is worth it to lean in to Jesus. It's worth it. I also think it's important to note that John didn't do this by himself. His disciples, his followers. When we see the word disciple, we, we kind of get real religious all the time. Like, oh, disciples. But, but these, these were the people he had invested in And in his hour of need, they were there for him. Who are the people you're investing in? Who are the people that will be there for you in your crisis? See, that's part of the the creative genius of God. That's part of why he's given us this thing called church. That's why he's given us each other. As we know, the church is not the building. The church is the family of faith. The church is us. And man, we need each other. We we need each other when things are good. But when our faith wavers, we need each other all the more. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And in this moment, I want to invite you into a crisis It's not a fabricated, made-up crisis. The word crisis just means a crossroads. It can be negative, but at the very least, it is always a decision point, a, a crossroads of life. And in every life that encounters Jesus... There is a crisis. There's that point at which you choose which road. The great theologian, Yogi Berra said, when you come to a crossroads, take it. You have encountered Jesus. By virtue of the fact that you were in this room and you heard the facts of the life of John the Baptist, the fact of Jesus' track record. And so for you, this is a crossroads. This is a, a moment to choose. And as a church, we wanna give you the opportunity to choose to follow Christ, to choose relationship with him. You don't have to pass a test. You don't have to have perfect attendance at church for six months. You have to choose to respond to Jesus' grace initiative. He's already led the way. When he went to the cross, he went to the cross for you. He went for me. And there he became our sin. when that happened Jesus paid the price the price of sin is death he died and he did that so that we wouldn't have to so that we could be forgiven of all sin and enter into a faith relationship with him A relationship of trust. If you're here today and you'd like to do that, then we want to invite you to pray a prayer of beginning. To step into that relationship, just pray right where you're seated. Silently say to God something like this in your own words. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I confess my sin, all of it. To claim your forgiveness, all of it. And I will follow you from this moment forward with everything I have. Lord, I pray this prayer in your name. you just to remain with your heads bowed for a moment just a brief moment but if that was your prayer this is the biggest moment of your life and it, it's a moment that needs to be marked because the Bible says it is a once and for all moment you don't have to pray that prayer again you don't have to renew you just have to follow Jesus And as a church, we want to help you do that. We want to do whatever we can to help. So I want to ask you to do just a couple of things. If you would, first of all, the Connect card that Kaylee mentioned earlier in our service, it's in your program that you got when you came in. If you would right now, just just begin filling that card out. Your name, contact info. You'll notice there's a place to indicate there, I committed my life to Christ this week. As you fill that out, just know that that's that's how we start a conversation that that proceeds at whatever pace works for you. And once you've completed that card, you can tear it off at the perforation. And before you leave in just a moment, when we dismiss, if you would just hand that card to one of our ushers, one of our hosts wearing the blue LHC t-shirts. And then second of all, If that was your prayer, I wanna ask you, if you would, as our heads are bowed for just another moment, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand and hold it up high for just a second. As a physical statement of the spiritual commitment you just made. And know that you're surrounded by people who wanna help. None of us has it all figured out, but we wanna help. And as a family, as you put your hands down, we're gonna put our hands together just to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.